Hey, hey, yeah, yeah, there we are, live. How is everyone doing? It's the Late Night Happy Hour, Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky. It is Friday night. The Lakers just knocked off the Chicago Bulls in a game that I think was probably a little closer than most people thought it was going to be, Andy. But you know what? We're not here to talk about the Lakers. We're not here to talk about basketball. We're here to talk to Ted Wynn. Ted Wynn, of course, covers the NFL for the Athletic, and it is Wild Card Weekend. Um, and so the Rams expanded are, wild card week. I know six games, six games this weekend. Um, so we we brought Ted on. We obviously spent a lot of time on the uh, the the Rams and the Seahawks, um, but really want to look around the league. And we also want to take a look at some of the other big stories, uh, ranging from MVP stuff to what the hell is going on in Houston with uh, Deshaun Watson. And is there any way the Rams could get him like this week? Uh, that, would, that would be helpful. If, that was, yeah, that was just like a joke like it'll be, uh, Ted in his head right now is doing like the salary cap man well you know the hit I, I, guys, I, like, I think they're past the trade deadline. <laughs> I don't think you can do that right before a game well, especially when one of those teams is eliminated it'll, it'll depend on how if they could swindle Easterby into you know Get tri- making Jared Goff a part of the the tree package. I mean, I will say you know? this. I will say this, and you know, in fairness to David Johnson, he was not awful with the Texans. But given how lopsided that deal was, where DeAndre Hopkins ended up going to Arizona, I would say Goff for Hopkins straight up is unlikely. Goff but I'll never. Golf. I'm sorry. Golf for Watson is unlikely, but I will never rule it out with it with with the Texans. They're so bad at trade. I will never rule it out entirely. It, it, it would be part of a package. That'd so be like Golf and two first round picks, and then you, you might have to throw in like a third and fourth in there too. Mm-hmm. Maybe one. No, maybe no, one first tra- rounder. How would that track record, Ted? I I feel like the 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 Texans are quickly evolving into the Sacramento Kings of of the NFL where you kind of figure that you can pull anything over on them. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a first round pick involved, Ted. I just think it's going from, uh, it's going from Houston to the Rams with Watson, the way, the way that their front office works. Like, you know, they, they just have been really bad at this stuff. Yeah. But Bill O'Brien's not there anymore. So they might be slightly better. That's disappointing. But I mean, but if you, I mean, I was just like thinking about how dysfunctional they've been, and you know, it, it almost seems like we're like deep into the off season, but we're not even into the off season. We're we're about five days into the the Texan season ending, and already they've so that they hired a firm to try to look for a GM for them. They completely ignore the firm hire the GM that Easterby wanted and then they piss off their star quarterback because they simply wouldn't even interview the head coach candidate that he wanted. And now the, their star quarterback's not returning their calls and there's rumors about trades. And again, we're five days into their season ending. So it's kind of crazy how, how dysfunctional Houston has looked so already. Uh, well, we'll get we will get there for sure over the course of this show, um, but we, we I want to start with Rams and Seattle. It's the second game of the Saturday games tomorrow. It's a one forty kickoff in L.A. Uh, and Seattle, for that matter. Um, this is a kind of a fascinating game because I think if you if you predicted the beginning of the year what this game would look like, Rams Seattle first round of the NFL playoffs. I think people would picture something a lot more explosive offensively than what most people think we're going to get tomorrow. Yeah, I think we're going to see something similar to the the most recent game they played. I think Seattle has improved a lot defensively. I think they figured out some ways to stop the Rams offense. Uh, I, I think Jared Goff, even if he plays, he's, I just can't see him being that effective. I mean, you know, he, if, if that injury affects his arm strength and his accuracy at all, it's he doesn't have the physical tools to kind of uh, to make up for it. He doesn't have the legs and athleticism to go out and run for a bunch of yards. Uh, 
And he, you know, it, it's going to seriously hinder the way the Rams play. And I, I wouldn't be surprised even if Goff played, if McVay had a package for Wolford, because I think he did show some legit skills in that week 17 game. That okay, that's an interesting question. Before before we start really getting uh into golf and playing our favorite game, how good is Jared Goff? Um, which we've been playing now for like a few years. Like Wolford Mania. Um, I'm not gonna lie, there it was a lot of fun to watch against Arizona. I'm also wondering if the Royal We, I don't even mean specifically you, but just Ted, but just like the everybody has made a bit too big a deal out of John Wolford going out there and just not being a disaster. And it like it, it was fun what he did with his legs. And he's definitely a more entertaining uh, quarterback to watch at his in, in those moments than Goff. And he's been a more fun story than Goff this season. Most quarterbacks are more but entertaining like, to watch than Goff. The, the Rams scored 18 points in that game, nine of which were the defense. And Wolford accounted for no scores. Like I, I'm wondering, and this is also a defense that wasn't familiar with Wolford because, like, no tape on him exists um, until that last game. And Arizona was playing without Kyler Murray, which gave the Rams the luxury of being able, if nothing else, just hold serve and not ask Wolford to do too much. I, I'm wondering if there's been a bit of a prisoner of the moment thing going on with Wolford. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not. I'm not like one of those guys that are saying Wolford should supplant Goff or anything, but no, I I know uh, you I, only bought a couple fat yeah. heads and that was it. <laughs> uh, no, I that, swear, I, not, I already I already owned a Wolford jersey before he started. <laughs> I had I had that back tat way before that start. I, I, I have that AFF know. jersey. Right? <laughs> I have the AFF jersey, but uh, I mean, I, I do think I do see what you're saying. I do see that there's a little too much hype over Wolford, but I do think that he, you know, he did, did show, he made some really good throws in that game and he made some plays with his legs. Uh, and there were some interesting plays that McVeigh put in for him. And I'm not, you know, I, I'm saying I wouldn't be surprised if there was a package in for him and maybe they use him like Taysom Hill, you know, put him in short yardage and just throw something out there that will give Seattle something extra to think about. Okay, th I guess this is the question I have with that. And not to interrupt you, Brian, because I could tell you about to ask something. But yeah, I, I have questions. But go ahead. How how difficult do you think something like that that the Rams have like never done would be to implement? You know, in a playoff game. You know, like the, the, it's not like they would be doing you know their other. Taysom Hill like package just with Wolford. Like this isn't something they do at all. Like for, from a schematic standpoint, like how difficult do you think that actually is to just start doing? I I don't think it's that difficult because they are a zone team. And when you're running the zone read, all, all you're really doing is running from shotgun and you're just having the quarterback read the backside end. And uh you know, they've been practicing with Wolford throughout this week. So it's been two weeks now where they have opportunities to put in these type of plays. They're practicing these plays while Jared Goff is limited practice. Uh, so it, it's in their playbook. And, you know, I'm not saying they're going to run at it as a base play, but I think they're probably good enough to run them, you know, in, in short yardage situations and here and there. I'm not saying it's going to be like a staple in their offense, uh, but I, I could see a package with them doing it. I mean, they, they played a game and they ran a bunch of those plays in a game situation too. When this is, this is one of these things I find like, I am not a wild fan of the wildcat. I just, I think, you know, if there was a stretch where people ran it all the time. Now it's, it's a little bit, you know, not quite as overdone, but generally speaking, I just not much good comes out of it. I don't think when you do something like this though, with, a, a guy who's the backup quarterback obviously can throw passes and whatever. When's the best time? Is it like you say short yardage on, but is it like third down is if you have like a second and two, like when is, when is the best time to break out something like this? When your backup quarterback is the, the gimmick package, if you want to call it that. Yeah, I think second and two, third and one, um, those short yardage situations where, you want to equal the numbers out because uh, with Jared Goff, 
he's not a running threat. So you're always going to have extra guy in the box um, when you're you're facing Jared Goff. But when you have a quarterback that can run, that kind of equates the numbers out a little bit, and, and that makes life easier on your offensive line. Uh, so I, I think, yeah, short yardage is, is a good place to put him in. I think red zone is a good place to put him in. They really struggled in a red zone against, against the Seahawks. And maybe Wolford makes you know their red, red zone offense a little more efficient. Uh, I'm just saying, I, like, I you know, use it. I mean, if Jared Goff goes out there and he stinks, you know, like, and they're struggling, and they're struggling, you know, and they're struggling as a, and as a playoff game, you know, like, it could be something that sparks sparks their team. Oh, sure. I mean, look, it's the playoffs. All bets are off at that point. And, and as Brian just said, they, they have struggled this season in the red zone a lot. So, that you know, they, they may have to start thinking outside the box a bit. It, it's going to be interesting, I think, to try to evaluate. Like, assume, let's just assume Goff ends up, you know, deemed healthy and he starts, which I would assume would be the case. Right. If, if, he's if, if Ted, that's right. I mean, if Goff is healthy and able to throw, he's going to start, correct? Yeah, I mean, I I, w- I would be surprised at this point if he he doesn't start. I mean, I, I he's probably gonna play. You know, he he got them there. He's he- he's healthy enough healthy enough to practice. Uh, I mean, I don't have any inside information or anything. I just I think he's probably gonna play. With, with that in mind, and you know, given the the inconsistencies we've seen with golf this season, and how you know some of the lows have been pretty damn low. When, when you're taking into account the, the thumb and trying to figure out where he's at physically, like if you're watching this, what, what would you gauge in terms of like, okay, he's struggling and this may be a struggle that's going to happen this whole game because he's just not physically there. He, you know, he, he hasn't had the reps he's needed, whatever, versus over the course of a game, even really good quarterbacks can occasionally struggle through you know a few possessions or you know they'll they'll make a bad throw you know things like that like like gauging what the cause would be because the idea of okay we're gonna pull him that's a really big decision yeah I think if he's just struggling with control of the ball and you're seeing one too many passes uh kind of sail sail or flutter then you know, and, and his accuracy is really hurting the offense, and they're ineffective. Then I think you got to make a move. Um, it, it's just, I mean, I've never broke my thumb before, but you know, I played quarterback in high school, and I can't imagine you know losing that that control on the grip on the grip of you know when you're gripping the ball. So you know, even if he is healthy, I, I imagine it probably would hinder hit you know it's going to cause a few errant throws and you just hope right. those errant throws don't happen in critical situations all right so other things that are going on you know just beyond the quarterback and you know <laughs> I'm, we're not probably not done with the quarterback because what was the but really quick while i remember what was the scouting report on ted win high school quarterback oh. <laughs> I, I played a triple option offense so i was basically a, a third i was like a third running back essentially we we passed the ball like three times a game no wonder you're advocating but, for wolford see a little <laughs> bit of yourself in him and mcveigh was option quarterback too so you know, may, you know maybe he needs <laughs> a little bit of, uh, of wolford and him too um i did put up a poll and and and, and in an effort to try to cut through uh, the general cynicism towards Jared Goff. Um, I phrased it this way. In all seriousness, people, who would you pick to start tomorrow's game, assuming Goff is healthy? Uh, Goff, Wolford, or Bortles? I always include Blake Bortles. Uh, and Jared Goff is winning handily. So even a Rams, uh, a, a Rams fan base that is Goff skeptical, I think in a lot of ways at this point, is still like, no, you start. You start Goff. Uh, but look around the rest of the field here because let's just assume that Goff comes out and plays you know, a decent Jared Goff kind of game where the way they play, the, the, the Rams have been using him all year, kind of a game manager, not asking you to go downfield a ton and all that kind of stuff. When you look around the rest of the field, whether it's Jalen Ramsey versus DK Metcalf, you know, uh, whatever the, the Seahawks line can do against... Um, you know, Aaron Donald, what the Rams might be able to do with Whitworth back to open up some space for Cam Akers. What are the other keys to this game? 
Um, okay. Sorry. Who's a blanket on his name right now? The Rams uh, second corner. Roy Hill? No. Uh, oh, God. The guy's had a good year. Williams. It starts with a W. Yeah, yeah, Williams. So Williams against um, – uh, I'm blanking on all sorts of names right now. Uh, the Seahawks, Lockett, Lockett. Uh, Lockett, yeah, Lockett. Lockett's been phenomenal. You know, he 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 had a slow he had a slow second half of the season, but you know he's explosive um, and he's been productive. He, he's shown he could take over a game. So you know, if if you're putting him one on one with Williams, um, that that's going to be a, a matchup to watch out for too. Yeah, I, I, go ahead. Go uh, finish. Finish. I was going to say, how much does do you expect like a guy like Whitworth can make it make a difference, given the time off, given the age and things like that? On the flip side, he's Andrew Whitworth. So, wh- yeah, how yeah. much better could the Rams' offensive line be with him coming back? I, I think he makes a world of difference. I mean, I, I doubted him um, in the beginning of this season. I was like, man, he is getting old. I saw a video of him moving around. Uh, in off season, I was like, man, he does not look like he's moving around that well. And then the season starts, and he looks phenomenal. So mm-hmm. I, I'm never doubting uh, Andrew Whitworth again. I think he's going to be. Uh, I think he makes a big difference. Uh, you don't have to help him on that side of the line. Uh, you know, he when he's run blocks, he's going to open up just a little bit much more space on that outside zone on the edge, and you know that that makes a big difference in outside zone run game. Him and Frank Gore are the two people that you just watch and go, I don't think I've ever wanted anything in my life the way the two of them clearly want to play football because at that mm-hmm. age, playing tackle and playing running back, like a, you know, a grinder, it's not, like, it's not like Frank Gore looks to get out in space. To do that at their age, taking that type of toll, it, it's unbelievable. Like I mean, like Whitworth, yeah. Whitworth and Gore just must love this game it's it's unreal yeah and, and Whit, whitworth plays left tackle so he's going against like some of the, the best athletes in the yes. world at age 38 which is insane you know and they're putting him in space against him so uh just really impressed with what he's done and like i said I, I'm, I'm not downing him i think he has a good game against the seahawks and i mean like look i i, I don't know andrew whitworth well and i maybe i'm just you know Making making this uh, judgment based on just surface appearances, but he doesn't seem to me like somebody who's been wildly irresponsible with his money. Like I like I don't no, think no, Andrew no, Whitworth is no. doing this because he you know he's got financial issues or stuff like that. He could walk away if he wanted to, and I think be just fine. He's still like you said, going out there and taking on these insanely difficult matches, matchups. Yeah. Me. Yeah, I mean, 38 years old playing left tackle is just, you know, it, it, it's kind of like playing basketball because, you know, you're you're guarding this guy, he's faced up with you, you're going backwards. Uh, so you just imagine like a 38-year-old big old lineman against like LeBron James because some of these DNs are, are you know, have that type of body, t- body, body type and having to, you know, stop them from getting to the bucket, bucket being the quarterback. So uh, just, yeah, I, I, I can't think. I'm trying to think of a, another left tackle that's played at such a high level at this late into the career, and, and it's hard to think of one. The other guy that that is, is fascinating here is Jalen Ramsey. Like, and you look at it, and I, I I'm looking at numbers that Jordan Rodriguez put up this uh, and uh, 20 yards per game uh, for the, the 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 times that uh, Ramsey matched up with uh, DK Metcalf. Uh, Mike Clay from ESPN had the had this stat: three catches, twenty-eight yards on forty-six routes that Metcalf had matched up to Jalen Ramsey. Two things I want to ask you here. First of all, the first one is like if you're if you're Seattle, how do you handle that? Do you just do whatever you can to try to get him off of Ramsey, or do you, you is that how do you, is that possible? How can you move a guy around? To make it so maybe Jalen Ramsey can't follow him everywhere on the field. Well, it's different that they're they they are so flexible with uh, where Ramsey plays. You know, he plays on a nickel now. Uh, he's he's not just lining up on one one side and outside. Uh, so you could do things like line him up in stack alignments and uh, try to 
cause some picks or just uh, kind of play with the rules of the defense. Because like, if you're in a stack or a bunch, then they have these rules like, all right, this guy takes the first outside release. This guy is going to take the first inside release. And then they can't really say, Ramsey, you're stuck on him no matter what. Uh, so there, there are ways to do it. Uh, but I think in third downs and critical situations, they're definitely good, you know, lock on Ramsey uh, with Metcalf. So that's why I think that lock it on Williams uh, matchup is going to be important as well. It, it was interesting. I, I saw uh, Lindsey Theory put out a long block quote uh, a couple days ago from Jalen Ramsey talking about that matchup with DK Metcalf, which the, the Seattle very intentionally lined him up in ways that made it harder for Ramsey to be on him. And Ramsey talked about this, and I'm paraphrasing a lot of what he said and summarizing it, but basically that it was disappointing to him as a competitor just not being able to go that often against Metcalf and have the two of them matched up. And he made it very clear, like, you know, I don't think DK Metcalf is scared of me or anything like that. I don't think he was hiding from me. This, this was, you know, the, the offensive coordinator, Pete Carroll. This was them making these decisions. But, you know, I want to be out there going up against the best and I also thought that's – I found that interesting because we've heard Aaron Donald talk so many times openly about how he loves this matchup against Seattle because he loves the ability to go at Russell Wilson. And, he, he, you know, he, he loves the idea of trying to disrupt, you know, a quarterback that good but also that mobile who, you know, a lot of teams have a difficult time containing. I mean, the, these two teams – they they really respect each other, but it, it's been really clear how much they actually enjoy just going up against each other. Yeah, and I think some guys say that, but I, I believe that Ramsey really wants to go against Metcalf uh, mm-hmm. on every snap. And um, you know, just what when I watching them, I was like, man, these two guys are like, you know, just the top of the profession, top of like the just crazy athlete spectrum, and they're just you know, two Titans going against each other. It was, it was great to watch. But at the same time, if you're, you know, if you are Brian Schottenheimer and you are not trying to get Metcalf away from Ramsey, then you're not doing your job as a competitor uh, and trying to get your, put your team in the best position. So, uh, you know, even though Ramsey wants to go against Metcalf, it's not in Seattle's best interest to put Metcalf against uh, Ramsey uh, snap after snap. He, How much... Does you mention like sort of the, the formations you can use and and the different types of routes and all that? How much is it, Jimmy, with your offense though, and can sort of take you out of a rhythm if you spend so much of your scheme trying to make sure that one receiver doesn't end up against one corner? Like, can can that be more disruptive to an offense, or you know, as you try to do that? Yeah, it, it could definitely more be more disruptive if you know that's. Um, I don't think that's going to be a. a you know, a, a part of your game plan that's that's going to take up too. You only can put in so many plays in one week, and you don't want to dedicate you know twenty plays into just trying to get uh, DK away from Ramsey. But you know, you do have a list of third down plays, and in those mm-hmm. third down plays, you want to have some mechanisms to free up Metcalf. <laughs> that it's he's. He's been, you know, phenomenal this year. Like, you know, some of the things we've seen him do just as a pure athlete have been unbelievable. But seeing Jalen Ramsey on a regular basis this season, you know, I'd seen him play before in Jacksonville, but never, never like this, never for a full season. His ability to erase rece- uh, receivers—it's as good as any any corner I can recall. Yeah, I mean, he did two like games. Recent Andrew Hopkins did the same thing against him. Like, wh- where does he stack up, Ted, in terms of guys that, you know, get labeled shut down with, with guys that you've watched? I mean, right now, he's he's number one. I don't think there's a question um, that Ramsey's number one. He's just, you know, he's got all the tools he want. He's huge. He's physical. He has long arms. He has, a, he has speed, quickness. He has the smarts, and, and he... He has, uh, I think, like all good corners have to want to be annoying. You know, like he just has a love for being, for annoying people. And it, it, I think you have to have that at DB. And, you know, it's just part of his game. Like he just wants to annoy the hell out of uh, the opposing team's number one receiver. And he, he does it. He has all this, 
this feels a bad talk. The uh, obviously the Rams have him in you know in the defensive secondary. They have uh, Aaron Donald in 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 the front, and the defense has been just spectacularly good by virtually every metric that you can find in the NFL. They're the best defense around. It, let's assume let's let's say they play a good defensive game tomorrow. You know, maybe win a game, maybe even two, whatever it is, or maybe even if they don't. Does Brandon Staley? sort of survive as a defensive coordinator this year with all of the openings that are are here is he is somebody going to steal him from the rams there, there's a lot of love for brandon staley around the league so i i think there's a good chance he ends up uh getting hired by somebody else uh but the, you know the the one saving grace the rams might have is the league is you know has been trending towards hiring offensive minded coaches uh but also, Staley's kind of uh, he's kind of known for having the most modern approach to defenses, and that could be really attractive uh, to teams that want a forward-thinking coach. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I think like the is he's been he's been known as one of the hot guys around the league right now. I, I've seen a lot of reports that he, in a lot of ways, is considered like the defensive Sean McVay. And, you know, Sean McVay actually found Staley because he was looking to try to find a defensive version of himself. The flip side, though, and, and I believe you just recently wrote about this, Ted, is Cliff Kingsbury not that long ago was considered like the next Sean McVay or part of, you know, that connection to him. And we're starting to hear some doubts about his acumen and, you know, like the, the fit in Arizona with him. Let's try to let's spread some rumors that that Brandon Staley is actually a moron. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The Rams want to keep him. Well, Cliff, but I, Cliff Kingsbury wasn't really part of the tree. He was just like a guy who knows Sean McVay. Right. I mean, he, just, <laughs> he made a point of it. Right. He, he was like six degrees of separation from, from Sean McVay. And, you know, they're friends. And, you know, they're both, you know, these like young upstart, you know, good looking guys. Cliff Kingsbury has an amazing house. His house is unbelievable. But it, I, I always think it's interesting to see how these guys start getting that rep and they they start becoming hot and then just how quickly that can turn around. And then you wonder like, okay, do people start becoming skeptical about the, you know, the McVeigh effect, things like that? Because, you know, he, there was a, there was a period where I think people were starting to think, okay, anybody within McVeigh's proximity, that guy's going to get snatched up. Yeah, and well, with Kingsbury, Kingsbury's situation was really weird because he was, you know, the, he was a head coach at te Texas Tech forever. Did not win that many games, but his offenses were great, and um, you know, they put up a ton of points. It helps Patrick Mahomes, but he did show a lot of offensive creativity. And then, you know, I, I think people got a little more interested because uh, Sean McVay wanted to hire him on his staff. And then the Cardinals just took kind of a gamble on him. And it, it was kind of precedented that, you know, they just hire this coach that didn't have that much success in college, not a lot of pro experience. Um, and, you know, I think in Arizona, he's shown some offensive cre creativity, but he's also shows his shortcoming at, as a head coach making some really – weird game management decisions and um you know just making some weird offensive offensive decisions like he has creative play calls but at the same time how he calls plays and how he calls plays in certain situations uh just were just strange and it 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 lost him games like it he directly lost him games because of decisions he's made but at the same time he also took the the, the cardinal from one of the worst offenses ever historically and made them, you know, kind of a middle tier offense in one season. And then the next season they're playoff contenders. So it, it, it they put, he's in a weird situation and um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that uh, Cardinal situation. Certainly, but it's not, it's not, doesn't provide a cautionary tale for anybody who's interested in hiring Brandon Staley though, this off season. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, but I mean, but there's also Lafleur, who you know was kind of uh, people kind of questioned his pedigree as well, and thought that he just got a job because of the uh, McVeigh, uh, you know, the McVeigh effect or whatever you want to call it, um, and he ended up doing 
doing extremely good with Green Bay too. So, and um, and we've seen that offense wherever people have installed that McVay Shanahan offense, it's gone pretty well, except for with the Bengals. But the Bengals have some major offensive line issues. Um, right. But it, it's been pretty good where wherever it's it, it's been installed. Yeah, and that's Zach Taylor. You know, uh, sort of another part of the the McVay tree. Um, I mean, that's a really productive tree, considering how little time uh, McVeigh has actually spent as the coach of the Rams. Um, all right, so with all that in mind, uh, nope, we already done that one. With all that in mind, <laughs> when you look at the game on Saturday, actually, no, wait, I have one more question. What happened to Seattle's offense? Because at the beginning of the season, they were really a, a downfield, explosive offense, and they've they've really uh, you know, defense wasn't playing well at all. Defense has played much better of late, but they're really the, the, that whole offense seems to have gone into a shell over the last. And they've not been good the against the Rams in either game at all. Yeah, I I haven't really sat down and broke down uh, their offense. And besides that Rams game, I I I didn't I haven't really caught a lot of Seattle games towards the end of the season, but. Um, Steven Ruiz from uh, USA Today wrote an interesting article, you know, when uh, about the offense when they, they started kind of uh, becoming a lot less efficient. Uh, teams were just not respecting. Um, so, you know, th- before they were a little too conservative, running the ball too many times, running the ball in situations they shouldn't have. And then they go into opposite side of the spectrum where they're just passing every down. And then defenses started – not respecting the run and they started, you know, playing them with three man lines, dropping guys back, playing them with a lot of sub dime packages. Uh, so that could be a reason why where teams are just dropping back and uh, playing a lot of too high safety, uh, kind of taking away spaces by dropping more people in, into zones. Uh, so that could be a reason why um, they're, they're not doing as well, but I, I'd be interested to watch a little more film and, and get a better answer for you. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I mean, this this uh, matchup, the idea of which team can actually get any offense going. We were just talking about Seattle's offensive struggles, and the Rams have played them really well in those two games. I believe they had eleven combined sacks. Russell Wilson didn't throw for two hundred fifty yards in either game. He had a few interceptions. The Rams, though, I was just looking over their game logs. They have not had three offensive touchdowns in in a game in over a month. You got to go back to the, I think it was 38-28 over Arizona is the last time they put up three offensive touchdowns in a game. That's a while. So, like, you know, if either one of these teams could, like, generate legit offense to 24, that might be enough in in, in the way they've been playing lately. They they both have really been struggling to get it going. Yeah. um, You know, the the Rams offense when Goff – has to drop, you know, when they've when teams force Goff to just drop back without the use of play action, without bootlegs, uh, he, he struggles, and it's been a formula for a long time. Um, and I think, uh, God, that Miami game was was so ugly. Oh, uh, yeah, he couldn't he couldn't handle the blitz at all. So you know, for all the good things Goff has done, um, he has a good winning percentage. Uh, he has his limitations and you know, that's why I think some people are, are quick to sour on him or um, so ready to move on from him. Uh, he just really struggles when he has to drop back and pass. All right. So uh, give me a prediction who wins this one and why I, I think the Seahawks win. I, th- I think Goff's uh, situation with his thumb is uh, if he loses any accuracy or arm strength at all, I, I think it's going to really hinder the, the, Offense, I think even with the Wolford package, even it gives them a spark, I don't think it's enough. Um, I, I kind of think Seattle and Russell Wilson discovers, uh, rediscovers uh, how to create explosive plays in a passing game. Um, not that I don't think they're going to score a ton in this game, but I, I think they're going to score somewhere around a 28 range, and I, I don't know if wow. the Rams can match that. Well, you've been a very depressing guest for our audience, Ted. Thank you. <laughs> Does it matter? Like normally, going into Seattle is a is a sort of a death sentence in the playoffs. But obviously, with no crowd, how much of a difference does that make to play up there with no crowd? Oh, it, it makes a big difference because communication for the offense is, is so much easier. 
mm-hmm. I think you know Seattle was was one of the loudest places you could play. So you know you had to do things like silent count. Uh, you couldn't audible as much as you want. And I, I think you know Mc, McVeigh would love the the chance to ch- uh, change his calls and give Goff you know signals until that fifteen second point in game clock. So uh, yeah, it, it makes a difference not having a crowd there, especially in Seattle. Andy, what do you think? Well, I was going to ask Ted, if the Rams win, what's the reason? The Rams win, I think Russell Wilson must have thrown a ton of picks. Aaron Donald uh, had like three sacks and had one of his monster, monster games. Um, And and Williams just locks up locket and, you know, the offense can't move. Okay. That's not, and again, not an encouraging. <laughs> like it's a lot of that's a lot of stuff. I mean, um, this defense has been capable. Of it. <laughs> uh, we want to look at a couple other games, though. The around the league, you know, you know, it's, it's a big wild card weekend. There, there are some garbage games, but there are some intriguing ones as well. Andy, what, which ones stick out to you um, as your favorite games? Um, I've been loving the Bills, and maybe it's just I, I have fallen in love with them because uh, Stefan Diggs absolutely carried my fantasy team to a, a league championship this year, um, and they've had a lot of games on there. And I have to say, jo- Josh Allen over the course of the season has really impressed me. Like just in, in you've seen improvement in his decision making, you've seen improvement in his accuracy, but he just he's not scared. Like he he, and I don't mean that like like in an intimidated type way. I mean like he's not scared to take chances. He's not scared to put himself out there. Like he he's a pretty fearless guy when he plays. Yeah, no, he he's fearless in the pocket. He's you know he could towards the end of the season he just out of structure. He made so many plays when there was pressure. Um, you know, uses ability to get away from pressure and made plays outside the pocket. Um, but yeah, with Allen, I don't think I've ever seen a quarterback improve that much um, as far as his accuracy on every level, especially deep accuracy, because that's one uh, part yeah. where he really struggled in his first two seasons. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden this season, he's hitting everything deep. Um, so He's been extremely impressive, and, and their defense also. Buffalo's defense is really good. It gets overlooked a lot because their offense is so explosive, but that defense is legit. Yeah, yeah, they got better. Uh, they they started off the season um, slow, and they've definitely improved a ton towards the end of the season. So um, yeah, I'm really impressed with the Bills and what Sean McDermott has done. Uh, Brian Dabble has really put together a, a really great offense that, you know, kind of accentuates uh, Josh Allen's skills as well. Are they, are they pretty clearly the second best team in the AFC? You think? I think, yeah, I think so. I, I, I said, um, I said a few weeks ago, I, I think it's going to be chiefs and bills in, in the AFC championship. Mm-hmm. How close. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I assume that I mean, you look at the rest of the teams and, you know, Indy, you know, not a bad team, but there are a lot of good teams, but not necessarily a lot of teams that feel potentially great in the AFC. How close then are the Bills to Kansas City? Uh, I I can't ever doubt Patrick Mahomes, uh, but he hasn't been playing that great uh, towards the end of the season, especially against uh, the Falcons. He he was he was off and. Uh, this season, he's missed a lot of easy throws. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know what it is, but he's missed a lot of layup throws. And but he's been able to make up for it because when he has to, he'll he'll kind of turn it on and make these crazy, insane Patrick Mahomes passes. Uh, but you know, throughout the course of the game, he, he's missed a lot. So yeah, that, it, it's I think right now. Yeah, I was going to say watching them over the course of the season, like. Mahomes has been really amazing at digging the Chiefs out of holes. But then you wonder, like, okay, how many holes can you dig yourself out of the, the more the competition gets better? And also the, you know, against a team that's, you know, had extended time to scout for you, all that, all that stuff. Like it, they're obviously a great team. And I mean, you know, they 
been the best team in the league, but just they they haven't looked as sharp in in ways that hasn't it hasn't felt like it's a Super Bowl hangover or anything like that. They just it it's been weird watching them. I, I is there anything you've noticed that that might account for what you're talking about? Um, like I said, the, the only thing I, I well, step they definitely have a lot of offensive line issues because mm-hmm. that interior yeah. line is pretty beat up, and uh, losing Ko was a was a big blow. Uh, so Mahomes is not as comfortable in the pocket. He doesn't have as much time as he's as he's used to, and that run game is pretty inconsistent. I think you know, at times last season, it's not like they were taking over games with their their run game, but I think they were a lot more efficient than they were uh, th- this season. Um, but I think, yeah, he's just been missing some passes, but it could be kind of like a golden state warriors type situation where they're just not as focused during a regular season. And maybe they just turn it on in the postseason, and they look like the, the, the old, uh, Kansas city chiefs. But I think Allen has definitely outplayed Mahomes towards the end of the end of the season. What did what does it do? Um, same kind of thing with that. I mean, he's in a normal year, you might expect the the Chiefs to go through and they have the home field the entire way, which obviously with you know the expanded playoffs is it's a it's a nice benefit. They they get a home field a, 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 a bye week, I should say too, that the 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 second team wouldn't normally get. Is is this a year though where there's going to be just more parity? You think up and down the playoffs, more potential for upsets just because home field advantage means less this year than it than it typically does. Yeah, I I think yeah home home field definitely means less than it typically does for all the issues we talked about earlier, where mm-hmm. you know offenses can audible clearly; they don't have to do a silent count. Um, all those things. Uh, so yeah, home, home field matters less. Um, and they're, I mean, you know, the, the top two teams are Kansas city and, and, and the bills, but at the same time, like I wouldn't be surprised if the Steelers, you know, with that defense and that path rush uh, surprise people and, and, and beat one of the big teams, you know? So I, I do think there, there are potential for some upsets in the AFC. Okay. So let's, let's jump to that because I, 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 I'm not. I mean, I guess the Browns are a bit of a mess right now, and that's sort of unfortunate given how long it take, took them to get back to the playoffs. So you you think the Steelers are good because they've not they've been they were one of the more unimpressive, you know, ten and zero or eleven zero teams I think in NFL history or whatever they were. At this point, that you're you're buying them as a kind of a sleeper pick. Um, I I don't think they're good, but I do think they have the potential to upset teams because they have. Uh, th- that pass rush. I mean, that pass rush to me is the best pass rush in NFL. Anytime you could affect quarterbacks that way, you could wreck a game plan. And we've seen Ben Roethlisberger just go on, you know, like he can look crappy for a half and then all of a sudden he'll turn it on and they'll start scoring some points. Uh, I-, I think that offense is-, is seriously flawed, but at the same time, I they I could see them going on runs if they need to. They, they have a lot of receiving talent and, and Roethlisberger can – uh, just tur- turn it on at times like that second half of the Colts game. Well, I mean, th- this would be a real test of it because it hasn't even just been a half where he's looked crappy this season. There's been like a few games where he's looked spectacularly awful, like like just like a shell of a shell of himself. So the, it, it would, I mean, it would really test just the idea of, you know, he's he's been a big game guy over the course mm-hmm. of his career. And, you know, sometimes that gets – tossed around in platitudes and stuff like that but there there are certain guys who just are really good in that setting and, and maybe we'll just see that with Roethlisberger yeah I think that's just how I have Roethlisberger in my head you know even though I've seen him play so crappy this season Ooh. I just I just have like this this uh I don't know, maybe maybe I maybe I'm wrong but I just this idea that he's a big guy he could, he has potential to just show up in a big game and look like the old big Ben for maybe a half. And maybe that's enough right. if, if the pass rush is good enough. What game do you look at as, you know, uh, as the most interesting of the weekend? Aside, uh, it's leaving, it's leaving aside the, you know, obviously if, if it happens to be Rams Seattle, because we spent a lot of time on that of the ones we haven't talked about. I I'm really excited to watch the Titans and Ravens game. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. The Titans defense is nowhere near where they were last season with Dan Pease. 
Um, and I think Baltimore kind of found it found its footing towards the end of the season. Um, and I think, you know, Lamar, Lamar Jackson got a lot of flack for how he played against the Titans last season in the playoffs, but I didn't think he played that bad. There were, there were a lot of drop passes. I think, I, I think there were like seven drop passes in that game. One of them ended up being a pick. He ran for a ton of yards against the Titans, but they struggled in the red zone. Uh, so, uh, it's going to be interesting to see that rematch. And I love what Arthur Smith is doing with the uh, the Titans offense. So I think that has potential to be like a high scoring game that ends up being the, the game of the week. How it, much, how, how well does Lamar have to play to kind of get the, the sort of playoff thing off his back? I mean, is it even if, like, uh, even if they win or don't win, how well does he have to play? I don't think he has to have a monster game. I think if they win this game and he looks like Lamar Jackson, you know, he doesn't have to pass for 300 yards, but if he passes for 150 yards, a couple touchdowns, and he also adds 100 yards rushing on the ground and they win that game, I think people uh, will start kind of laying off him a little bit. How good do you think Tampa is? Because there are times when I've seen them play and, you know, they look pretty impressive and there are other times where they're a mess yeah uh tom brady splits when he's under pressure and when he's not under pressure have always been pretty uh there's been a pretty stark difference in play like he plays a lot worse when he's under pressure uh but i i, I don't have the numbers in front of me but i believe they're even bigger this season and it would be i, I if, if Washington Alex defense is healthy, good, yeah, yeah, their front four is yeah one of the. I would say they're probably second to just to sit of Steelers. Like they, they're a legit front four. And if Alex Smith was healthy, then I would be looking at Washington as a potential upset pick against uh, against Tampa Bay because I think that front four is really going to affect Tom. Brady. Yeah, that, I thought that was interesting. I mean, just because you know he's. In his prime, Tom Brady couldn't move much less now. But you know that the, the same disruption that you talked about with the Steelers front for Washington has that just that notion of disruption. How valuable is that in the playoffs? Just the, just that idea of pure disruption, or just the ability just to create chaos. Oh, it's huge. I mean, you have the pressure of the playoff game already, and then when you're running around, you know. And you can't get a, a, you know, you can't feel comfortable. You can't feel like you're into the game. You can't feel like you could be in rhythm and make your reads. I think it flusters you e even more. And it, it you know, uh, and, and you know, it, it's been proven like passing is how you win games. If you struggle in a pass game, it's hard to win. And when you have pass rushers that can affect the game without blitzing and compromising the coverage, it's huge. Uh, I just don't think Washington has the offense to really threaten the, the right. Buccaneers, especially if uh, if Alex Smith doesn't play. But can Tampa is Tampa a Super Bowl caliber team? I, I think they are, uh, but that defense is so strange because they were so dominant in the beginning of the season, and then they just fell off a cliff. But they don't have a lot of major injuries uh, too. But they they have a really good run defense. But I, I think their corners are. Uh, what makes him susceptible. And I think Tom Brady is going to play good enough to uh, make a legit playoff contender. Um, obviously, Mike Evans' health is going to be a big issue if uh, if he's able to play this week or you know, and he's going to look like the a healthy Mike Evans throughout the playoffs is going to be right. uh, a big issue as well. So who is is who do you think is the the I mean, if Green Bay is the best team in the NFC, who is next? I mean, uh, how, how many teams out of the NFC do you think have a legitimate chance to make the Super Bowl? See, I got I got to pull up uh, pull it up right now. Look at everybody. Well, you got it's um, it's Seattle. I mean, it's and then it's Seattle, the Rams, um, Tampa. Oh, the Saints, uh, the Saints, Saints, the Saints, and and Washington. Yeah, Chicago. I think the Saints are the the Saints are second best. I think their defense is legitimate. Um, the the only thing that's it, that scares me about the Saints is how Drew Brees has performed in in the playoffs in the last few seasons. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think their run game is good enough to where they don't and 
their defense is is even better than it has been in the last couple of seasons where they don't have to uh, rely on Brees to score 30 points. Um, but I, I think their defense is legitimate. They also have a really good pass rush, some stingy corners, and um, and Alvin Kamara is just playing on another level right now. We got some old ass quarterbacks in the playoffs this 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 uh, yeah. postseason. Brady, Rivers, Roethlisberger, Breeze, like the, these guys are really getting up there. Like it, it's it's crazy yeah. to think that they're all still playing. Like they're all still playing. They're all still going to be starting quarterbacks in the playoffs. It's kind of nuts, man. Yeah, and this might be the last season we see a bunch of them. Like Breeze is done after this season. Yeah. He's got that TV deal. Roethlisberger, I think he might be done, you know, but he's threatened retirement before, but he kind of talked about it uh, during during this season. Uh, Rivers is probably done if the Colts decide to go make a trade for a younger quarterback like Carson Wentz. Uh, so, yeah, enjoy these guys. Uh, it might be the last yeah. time we see them. Yeah, Carson <laughs> Oh man. All right. Um, I have a game. We have a game ready uh in honor of some of these quarterbacks, as we've been talking about. It's it's wild card weekend. Um, and I have a game built around starting quarterback trivia. Now I will try to avoid I have one uh question on the list that is a your name is your buzzer, which is not necessarily gonna be super fair to Ted because there is a, still a little bit of a delay between what we say and what he hears. But we'll do our best. I'll for that one. I promise I'll do a thousand one thousand two. How about that? <laughs> that seems fair. Okay, okay, so here we go. Starting quarterback trivia for Wild Card Weekend. We begin with Colts versus Bills. Uh, which does Philip Rivers, quarterback of the uh, Indianapolis Colts, have more of rushing yards this season or children? Rushing yards this season or children? Which does Philip Rivers have more of? Andy goes first. This is a this is a good one. <laughs> out of out of respect for Philip Rivers, even though I think it's not the right answer, I'm going to say rushing yards. All right, Ted. Uh, I'm gonna say children. <laughs> the answer is children, and it's not even close. Um, he has nine children, as we all know, famously has nine children. Philip Rivers has minus eight rushing yards this year. He has averaged negative 0.4 yards per carry. He only uh, go, he only would score a touchdown if he went backwards. He'd have to line up backwards to go the other way. Like I said, I didn't think it was the right answer. I just didn't want to disrespect yes, the guy. It's not even close. Nine children, negative eight rush yards. That one for you, Ted. Point, point 0.4 Ted. <laughs> Uh, Josh Allen, quarterback of the Bills. He was drafted seventh in the 2018 NFL Draft. How many quarterbacks were taken ahead of him? A, one, B, two, C, three, or D, four? Andy, or sorry, Ted goes first. Three. I All think right, Andy? I think it is three. No, you're both wrong. The correct answer is two. So it's oh. it's just uh, it's just Darnold and um, Rosen? Oh, Darnold, Rosen. Oh, no, he Rosen was drafted after. That is okay. correct. It's oh, Donald yes. and Baker Mayfield. Okay, okay. That's oh, it. Oh, yeah, you're right. No points for anyone, right? Yeah, so it was uh, just the two. Okay. All right, moving along. Rams versus Seahawks. Russell Wilson. He is uh, known by many people as Dangerous. See how they do that with his name, Dangerous? Uh, you know what else is dangerous, guys? Hippos. How many people are <laughs> killed on, on average every year by hippos? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Closest to the pin wins. <laughs> How many people per year are killed on average by hippos? Uh, Andy, you go first. Closest Shit. to the pin. You can go over. It's okay. Just closest like, to the pin. Probably fewer than we're killed by this question. Um, well, that's a good question. <laughs> the, the I like how you connected it. Yeah, yeah the <laughs> set was just totally smooth. Um, you didn't see it coming, did you? Nothing convoluted about it. I'm going to say... Dangerous, dangerous animals. It's not convoluted at all. <laughs> I'm going to say 328. All right. Ted? I'm going to say 113. Oh, Ted, you are grossly underestimating the danger quality of the, of the hippopotamus. Uh, the correct answer is 500. 500 wow. people a year are killed <laughs> by hippopotamuses. Andy, with your guess, is uh, significantly closer than Ted, crocodile only crocodiles, dogs, and snakes 
are more dangerous, killing more humans on average per year than the hippopotamus. So uh, kudos to them. I didn't uh, think that many people had access to hippos. <laughs> <laughs> you would think by now they'd be more careful for those of uh, those people who do. Uh, it is one-to-one. -one. Here we go. Jared Goff, according to Wikipedia, Goff has an enzyme deficiency that hurts his body's ability to break down protein, making him unable to process. I thought you were break down defenses. <laughs> I thought he said break, break a tackle. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Tough crowd. Um, so it makes him unable to process red meat. Uh, how much ground beef is consumed in America <laughs> per year? Presu presumably not by Jared Goff. <laughs> oh, man. It's like he's not, great. Jared Goff is presumably not adding to this count at all. But how much ground beef is consumed in America per year? Uh, closest to the pin, you can go over. Ted, you go first. How much ground beef consumed in America per year in pounds? Uh, in hundred pounds. tons. Hundred tons. Pound. Nope. <laughs> Gotta go pounds. We need pounds. Oh man. Um. I'm. I, okay. People are gonna laugh at my math and conversion right now because I can't think. It's too late. <laughs> I would say. Uh, I would say five hundred million. All right, five hundred million. <laughs> of red meat. <laughs> <laughs> red meat. Not, that's not, it sounds like uh, Dr. Evil. <laughs> million pounds of ground beef. Andy, how much ground beef is consumed in America? Gonna say, without going over. You know, the uh, plant-based diets have really taken a... Taken look, a again, Jared Goff is not contributing to this because his body can't break down red meat. I'm going to say... Four hundred ninety-nine million pounds. That is incorrect. Ted wins this one. You're both way off, though. The correct answer is twenty-seven point three billion pounds of of ground beef is consumed wow. in America per year. That comes out to about a hundred eight pounds per person. Wow, a hundred eight pounds per person. Twenty-seven point oh, man, billion pounds per year. Wow, I'm uh, way under. Way under. Ted is up two to one. Uh, Tom Brady famously wrote a hardcover book about the TV 12 method, which is nicely bound and uh, big and expensive, and you can put it on the coffee table. It's a nice coffee table book, but not the most famous coffee table book of all time. That belongs to Cosmo Kramer on Seinfeld, who famously wrote a coffee table book about coffee tables. What was the name of that coffee table book? A, coffee tables, a history. B, a table for your coffee. C, the coffee table book of coffee tables, or D, coffee table Cromerica. Andy, you go first. Coffee table, a history, a table for your coffee, the coffee table book of coffee tables, or coffee table Cromerica. I think it's C, the third one. The coffee table book of coffee tables. Yeah. Ted? I like B. A table for your coffee. The correct answer is yeah. C. The Coffee <laughs> Table Book of Coffee Tables, and Andy by Kramer, <laughs> just says by Kramer, um, and uh, Andy, you have tied things up at two. Taylor Heineke, who is expected to start for the Washington football team, was undrafted in the 2015 draft, but did sign with the Minnesota Vikings and eventually made his way to Washington. He went to Old Dominion University. Go Monarchs. How many players from Old Dominion have been drafted into the NFL? Closest to the pin. Ted, you go first. How many Old Dominion University players have been drafted into the NFL? Say three. That was actually going to be my answer. <laughs> um, I'm going to say five. Mm, the correct answer is two. There have been two Old Dominion Monarchs in the history of the of the world that have been drafted into the NFL. Ted takes a three to two lead. This is a nail biter. Lamar Jackson, we're on to Ravens versus Titans. First entered the lineup when Joe Flacco went down with an injury. Joe Flacco was the Ravens starter from 2008 until Jackson replaced him. Which Ravens started the most games in 2007, the season before Flacco arrived? A, Steve McNair, B, Kyle Bowler, or C, Troy Smith? Ted. Steve McNair, Kyle Bowler, or Troy Smith? Who started the most uh, games in the year before Joe Troy Flacco Smith. arrived? Say Troy Smith, Andy. Yeah. I'm going to say Bowler. 
The correct answer is Kyle Bowler. Andy ties things up at three. Kyle Bowler had eight starts that year. Steve McNair had six, and Troy Smith had two. Uh, Andy, you didn't like the segue to the hippos. You're going to love this one. (laughs) Ryan Tannehill plays for the Titans, who were, of course, once the Houston Oilers. Of course, the most famous oiler of all time, Wayne Gretzky of the Edmonton Oilers. Which is the bigger I don't mind that which is the bigger number, rushing yards for Ryan Tannehill for his career or career points for Wayne Gretzky as an Edmonton Oiler, just as an Edmonton Oiler? More rushing yards for Ryan Tannehill in his career or more career points, that's goals and assists, Andy, for Thank Wayne you. Gretzky as an Edmonton Oiler. Andy, you go first. Was Edmonton his original team? That is correct. I'm going to say Gretzky. Okay, Ted. It's got to be Tannehill, right? No, it doesn't have to be. (laughs) Was that your answer? Uh, I think it's Tannehill. The correct answer is Wayne Gretzky, but it's a lot closer than you'd think. Gretzky had 1,669 points in his Edmonton career. Brian Tannehill has 1,661 rushing yards. Um, okay, so it's four to three. Yeah. I don't know anything about hockey, and I just thought that uh, like a, over a thousand goals is like way too much, so that's why I, I didn't think he was really great. good at it, though. You should, you should know <laughs> <Okay>. that. <laughs> uh, it's excellent at hockey. All right, now, Andy, you are on a bit of an honor system here. Your name is your buzzer. This is right. the last question. Andy is up four to three, but Ted, you are in luck because the last question is worth two. So mm-hmm. you can you can come out ahead here. Your name is your buzzer. Ben Roethlisberger, he is known as Big Ben. And of course Big Ben is used to refer to that big uh the, the big clock in in London. It's used to refer to the tower as a whole, but the nickname refers directly to what part of the structure? Oh god. <laughs> um have at it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> the nickname actually refers to what part of the structure? Give you a hint. It's not the tower. The foundation. Andy. The clock face. No. Ted, think carefully. You know, and I, it, this is one of these situations that reminds me of the backup running back for the Kansas City Chiefs and something he once said. A bell. Oh, <laughs> Ted, that's right. <laughs> and you squeak out a victory five to four. <laughs> Big Ben refers to as, is, is actually the reference to the bell itself that rings, not the entire clock tower. Congratulations, Ted Wynn. You have won wild card weekend starting quarterback uh, trivia. <laughs> I wasn't aware if I waited long enough, I would get hints. <laughs> like no, nobody told me. <laughs> well, no, you wouldn't have. <laughs> that was just for Ted. No home field advantage here, just like the playoffs. Seriously, Monty, man. Monty Ten says the fix is in. That is correct. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that was exciting. <laughs> Are you really sure you guys you didn't like the hippo question? It, it was it was both <laughs> awful and glorious. I mean, it wasn't to find out that hippos kill five hundred people no, a year. That part, that part I liked. It it was the way we got there. Well, it was, it was entertaining thing. to see how you use names and turn them into questions. Okay, let me ask you this I'll before you we let you go, Ted. We'll let you before we let you go, Ted. The the correct the technical correct answer to what animal kills the most people per year is the mosquito. And then there are a bunch of like tapeworms and things like that. And I, I am correct for eliminating all of those from the list. Those aren't really animals, right? Like when you think of no, an yeah. animal, you don't think of a mosquito, right? No, no. Yeah. When I think yeah. about okay. an animal killing somebody, it's like mauling them or eating them, you know. Right. It's not a, a tapeworm. <laughs> yeah. Slowly it's a disease that actually kills them. Yeah. yeah. That, I was just going to say, it, it, that's different. That That's not so much uh, like an animal being vengeful. Like the, the way I look at it is if you wouldn't watch it on the nature channel, it's not killing. Yeah. Like, like nobody's going to watch somebody get bit by a mosquito and just slowly <laughs> die. <laughs> Like that, no. that's, that doesn't make for good viewing. No. And I will say this, you know, and I did see one list and this really makes you think, you know, technically, you know, te- the, the non-insect animal that kills the most humans 
man humans other humans yeah mm -hmm. think about it mm -hmm. deep deep it is it was a very deep list <laughs> so I, I, so I, I just kept, I kept right. scrolling until i got to hippos i guess they are right when they say guns don't kill people people kill people <laughs> people and hippos kill people <laughs> think about skills people let me tell you it's easy. Hippos, they're dangerous <laughs> if you could teach them how to pull the trigger oh yeah all right edwin okay. uh cover checks on hippos <laughs> <laughs> 500 people a year and as ted says i didn't even uh, I mean, all, all with guns <laughs> oh did you get mauled by a hippo no i got shot um oh, all right okay. edwin covers the nfl <laughs> Probably never coming back after this. This might be his last appearance. I, I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. So I'll be Not back just to learn more about animals. <laughs> 500 people. Stay away from the hippos, people. Um, all right. We'll be back next week. Greg Bergman's going to join us on Monday to catch us up on everything that's been going on in uh, the world of baseball. We'll have Kirk Morrison on Tuesday to kind of wrap up what we see this weekend and look ahead to next weekend. And uh, Wednesday, Bill Hanstock, who we rescheduled for this weekend, we are going to have a WWE and a wrestling conversation on Wednesday. It's going to be a ton of fun. We'll see everybody next week. Have a great weekend. Donkey Needle on.